Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. In this contributor episode, Matt talks about his recent Kickstarter for BeLives, and Jonathan talks about starting a playtest community. Before we get to the show, I will be at Metatopia in November, so if anyone is attending that, stop by and say hi. And the Board Game Workshop design contest is moving into round two, so we have our 30 entries that we'll be in. And we're moving through that, so you might hear about that on Twitter. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Shoemaker from Hit Him With a Shoe. And this month, I would like to talk to you about the BeLives Kickstarter. Now, this Kickstarter just completed. Uh, we finished up on Wednesday, and I'm recording this on Friday, so it's been a couple days. And I know this isn't a topic strictly about game design, but it's important to realize that uh, being in this kind of business is more than just designing your game. It's also about being able to sell yourself and sell your designs to others. So with that, I thought it would be good to give a little post-mortem about the BeLives Kickstarter, what I did for it, what I thought about it, and uh, just let you kind of take that in uh, so you have an idea of what it might take to self-publish your game like I'm doing with Hit Him With A Shoe, or if this might also dissuade you from that and make you only want to seek out going with a publisher, which is totally all right as well. So to start off with, the game, the campaign was uh, 30 days. It started on September 10th and wrapped up on October 10th. I was seeking a funding goal of $15,000, and my most popular pledge was just for the base game, which is a $49 pledge. When the campaign finished on October 10th, it had raised $34,138 with 715 backers. These are results that I'm quite pleased with, especially since this particular month, uh, Kickstarter has been just flooded with games, and there's even been a few games that are, are, are up for funding that aren't doing as well as I would have expected based on their um, previous publisher and designer history, so I feel quite lucky with how BeLives went. I think that went um, a lot of it to do with how I ended up marketing the campaign leading up to it. And when I say leading up to it, I'm talking the entire year prior, not just the immediate 30 or 60 days before. So uh, with that, uh, when I started the campaign for marketing efforts, I had just under 300 mailing list subscribers. I had a little over 300 Twitter followers, just over 100 Facebook followers, and about 150 followers on Instagram. Uh, a lot of my efforts that I put to for marketing this were at conventions. So in the previous year, to both playtest and promote the game, I attended PAX Unplugged, the Philadelphia Bee Symposium, Dreamation, Unpub 8, GaryCon, Origins, Dice Tower Con, Gen Con, the Philadelphia Honey Festival, and the Keystone Comic Con. Now, of those, I would have to say that um, PAX Unplugged, Unpub 8, Origins, Dice Tower Con, and Gen Con were the most useful. Gen Con, I would put it number one, but that's not exactly fair because I did have a booth there. I'm not going to belabor that point because I talked about that for an entire episode back in August. So if you're curious about that, you can check in on that. 
Something else I did for marketing was work with Be Bold Games. We started promoting about the month before the Kickstarter started, and um, Bebo also made my Kickstarter video and a play overview video for me. Bebo also put me in touch with a few influencers. I had been doing that a lot myself as well, but... Um, I primarily got to Man vs. Meeple and the board game Spotlight, which did my only two paid previews. All the other paid previews and interviews I did, which was 13 total on the page, and about 16 or 17 total by the end of the Kickstarter, since I did a few live during the campaign, uh, were all unpaid. I did minimal advertising on Facebook, um, spending only about $15 per week of targeted ads, and I aimed at people who liked tabletop games or Kickstarter and also liked honeybees. I also made sure to only target the countries of Canada, the United States, the UK, and Germany with those ads. I also did two weeks of ads on Reddit for about $30 each, and those were targeted at the Board Games Group. And I did one week of ads on Board Game Geek for $500, and I'm not sure I would do that again. I don't, I didn't set up my referral links very well, so uh, I'm not quite sure how well it did. But based on my numbers that week, other than the last two days of the campaign, I'm not sure I would do that again. I also did three Kickstarter live streams over the campaign that had about 20 to 40 people in attendance for each of them, and I did get more pledges during those uh, live streams while they were up, but the other nice thing about them is that they stayed viewable for uh, the rest of the campaign as well, so those were more options for people to view and see what everything was. Um, just a couple other tidbits that you might be interested in on Kickstarter in general. Um, my final backer was number 817, but I only had 715 total final backers, meaning that 112 people who pledged for the project at some point canceled. Now, I bring that up because there's a lot of times, especially before you reach your funding goal, that is very heartbreaking to see people cancel their pledge on your game. This isn't the end of the world if they do that, um, but it, it really puts an emotional roller coaster into Kickstarter, which I'll talk about more in a minute. Um, something else to know is that I had a 21% conversion rate of people who followed the project. So 1,666 people followed my project, which means they clicked the Remind Me button and received the 48-hour email and, uh, when there were only 48 hours left of the project, and 350 of them ended up backing the project. Now, I've seen some other threads online, and 21% seems to be a pretty average number. So I feel okay about that. Obviously, I would have liked to see a higher conversion rate, but I'll take it. Um, so that's all the hard data that I have to give you. So just a few thoughts on the campaign. Um, again, being my first campaign, uh, I had a lot of compliments from people in the community on it that it was well run. Um, I've had a lot of experience on Kickstarters. I've been a part of Kickstarter as a backer since... If not, I think 2011, I think, was my first backing. And if it wasn't 2011, definitely 2012. I believe the first game I ever backed down there was Dog Eat Dog, if I remember correctly. But I, I might be wrong about that. It doesn't matter, though. P point is, is, I've been part of Kickstarter for a long time. And doing that, I got to see what good campaigns do and what bad ones do. And I made sure to stay engaged with the community, give plenty of updates, give regular stretch goals, not give out all the stretch goals right away, but also reveal them as we go. And um, just use those to kind of entice people and keep them engaged in the whole process.
The uh, middle two weeks of the Kickstarter, uh, the 30 days, were very slow, uh, which was frustrating at times. I also noticed that the last day of September, I had a huge amount of backers. I don't know why for sure, but I suspect it was due to people getting paid at the end of the month and then backing when they had their new paychecks. So if anyone has more insight on that, I'd love to hear it. Overall, the... um, Kickstarter had uh, great success. I had support through it, through my family, and through my sister Helen, who was also the graphic designer for BeLives, um, as well as just friends. Uh, all of that was definitely needed because there were times where um, you get really just frustrated with things. I know there was one point we hit our first stretch goal at $17,000, um, and for whatever reason, it kept backing, uh, ping-ponging back and forth from $17,000. It'd go over 17,000 and someone would cancel their pledge then someone would back it again then two people would cancel their pledge and three people would pledge and go back down it was very very frustrating and I just stressed me out a whole lot um, that was the worst of it um, but we made it through obviously I mean we ended up at 34,000 uh, which was great and going through and um, now it's time to move on to the next step of that process uh, other things I would say about the Kickstarter is make friends with those of you that are local. We did some cross-promotion with other people in the Philadelphia Game Makers Guild, which uh, was good because we could talk to each other, see how things were going, as well as promote each other's projects. Um, I, it also, I will say, this is, this is both a good and a bad thing, but being on Kickstarter also got me into backing a bunch more Kickstarters again, which is not so great for my wallet, but good for everything else. Um, so just be aware of that. I mention it because you're going to get a lot of emails from people um, wanting to do cross-promotions and things like that, uh, which I didn't do because I didn't want to cross-promote something if it didn't have a direct tie-in or if I didn't know them and believe in their game. Um, and some people were writing, and they were completely random projects, like uh, one person was like whiskey glasses or something like that and they wanted me to cross promote it and I don't know why I ever would have done that but hey why not they, they, they tried um, so that's part of it as well um, overall, I think it was a great experience. I'm glad I did it. Uh, it's not over, of course. I have to go through the fulfillment and manufacturing and all of that, and I'm sure you'll be hearing from me about that over the next few months as we talk about it more as I go through this process for BeLives. Um, but I do think it's something that uh, was a good experience to have, especially since I've got a lot of project management experience that I do in my day job and just other types of work, um, as well as in uh, my game design. Uh, It it just kind of helps tie it all together for me. And rather than just being the game designer piece of the puzzle, being the developer, being the um, project manager, being the art director, all that stuff really means a lot to me. And it kind of is what gives me fulfillment in this whole game design process. That's all I have to say about the Kickstarter, um, at least at this point. If you've got questions, please ask, and I'm happy to answer them. Um, I'm starting to work on a couple new game projects now that BeLives is uh, in the books, so to speak, uh, at least as far as the game design portion goes. Um, so I will be talking more about those and how I'm approaching design for them in the months coming forward in those segments. And I'm sure you'll hear more about me on the Kickstarter. So again, I'm Matt Shoemaker. Uh, from Hit Him With A Shoe. You can follow me on Twitter at BeLivesGame, Facebook also at BeLivesGame, and you can also visit our website for more information at www.hithimwithashoe.com. That's E-M, not T-H-E-M. Thanks all, and I'll talk to you next time.
Hello, this is Jonathan Weaver. I am the designer and founder of Game Weaver Games, and I am wanting to come to you on this board game workshop contributor section to talk about how to start a playtesting community where there may not be one. I have um, lived in multiple cities um, throughout my gaming history and have um, realized that I might not always be in one of the hit game locations such as maybe Seattle or Los Angeles or San Francisco or some of those really awesome cities that have great design communities. But I have learned um, how to bring about um, other people, even non-gamers, into games as well as then to help them become playtesters so that I've been able to playtest my games with, um, with them. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my um, understanding of this. So I started learning about games when I was in Birmingham, Alabama. There were a few game players in the area that I knew, and we began playing games together. The first thing that I decided to do with my friend was to make a board game uh, game night, basically. And we started by inviting our own friends and giving it kind of a um, hangout feel to it. And it was usually at people's houses rather than maybe your friendly local game store. So we did that for the sake that um, anyone and everyone could come. And even though they knew that they were coming to a game night, that there was also usually either dinner provided um, or snacks and drinks, um, just a way for people to hang out. And so we invited a lot of um, you know, post-grad, college students, a few people that were well-established in their careers but were looking for something to do on a Friday night. And this is really um, how I began to realize, wow, games are a great way for people to get together. And when I started introducing people to the newer games, the more modern hobby games, they were real hits because we had already established this fun game night crowd that was more about relationship than it was necessarily about games. So um, that's one of the reasons why I feel like I can talk about this is I was able to do that in Birmingham, but I now I'm a designer and I live in Rome, Georgia, and it is another pretty dry area when it comes to like hobby gaming and things like that. We don't even have a friendly local game store, but I wanted to um, talk to you guys about how that's even worked out over here in Rome. So I'm going to give you some pointers that I've learned about through my time um, being not only a board game player, but also a board game designer. And hopefully these are helpful for you as well. So the first thing is kind of the question of how to meet people and begin introducing them to games. And I think that is um, like kind of tricky because you're not sure if they have much of a history with games. Maybe they would say they don't like games, which I've had plenty of people say that as well to me. I think the first thing I always ask is, well, what games have you played, right? And that was a really easy question to ask because um, I'll be just sharing in small talk like what I like and I'll say I like games and they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm not really into games. And I'll say, oh, well, what games have you played? that you did like and that's just a question that starts posing the board gaming thing in a positive light which is really helpful for them to think back oh you know I really liked Clue when I was a kid or I liked Trouble or I liked Sorry or Life or Monopoly I, at least most of the people that I talk to who say I don't like board games they have a lot of experience with mass market games some of them will say oh I loved playing you know um, Spades with my cousins or I liked playing uh, some, one person said they liked playing uh, Bridge with their grandma and I was like wow you play Bridge so 
um, not bridge, I'm sorry, cribbage. Um, so anyway, learn about the history of their history with games because more than likely they've played something or been around it at some point. Then I usually ask them um, after that, like, what did you like about that game? And this is a question that they may not be like totally able to answer. You know, maybe they're just like, I don't know, I just played it because that's what you did when people brought it out and it was a rainy day or whatever. Um, but sometimes you'll get great answers out of that. Like, oh, I really like trying to figure out who did it in Clue. Or I really liked the um, how you could stomp on people in trouble and send them back to home or whatever. And that helps give you sort of the feel or even possibly mechanics that they might like. Another way to figure out um, that it, whether they would like a game or not or to help them kind of see that games are a possibility for them is to ask about their personality. Um, this is, I use Myers-Briggs a lot. I'm like, hey, do you know your Myers-Briggs personality? Or um, I might ask them like, uh, you know, what are you on the disc profile? Uh, so some of those assessments that are out there. Heck, you could probably even use a BuzzFeed. What what uh, house in Harry Potter are you or something? Um, but you basically get them to talk about themselves. And, and it's really great because you get to learn about them and you get to know them. And ultimately, you might be able to ask some questions like, so you like kind of details or, oh, interesting, are you kind of a big picture person? Some of those things have helped me realize like what games they might like depending on how their personality is bent, what they are naturally good at. Um, maybe even learn about TV or movie or book theme interests. So this is like, oh, do you like, you know, what TV shows do you like? Oh, you like Doctor Who? That's interesting. Or, oh, wow, you like Stranger Things? That's cool. Or maybe they just say, you know, I like The Bachelorette. And you're like, oh, wow, so you kind of like the romance stuff. And, and all that is helpful um, just input for trying to match them up with a game that would make the most sense for them. And I think I always tell them like, hey, one of my favorite things to do when I meet people is just see if they would like a game um, that I can um, bring to a, a hangout or a night or a game night or whatever. Um, and I think that you might like a game like this. And some that might not happen on our first conversation. I might take some of that um, information and then go research some games or look at my own collection and think about what they might like. I always try though, even as even if somebody's like I loved, uh, you know, Risk, and I played it a million times. I always try to start off with something that's simpler than that, because ultimately they may still be like kind of in, a, in an aversion state to learning, you know, rules for thirty minutes or whatever. And so I want to bring in um, a simple game, or even better yet, sometimes a co-op game, party game. Some of those games will get people to realize that they really like um, gaming because it really does provide an opportunity for relationships to grow. So one of the things that I thought of um, when I was brainstorming some of the ones that I've used to help people um, really get into gaming was a love letter. Love letter is a simple, I pick up a card, I place a card down, I try to guess who's who, and the rounds are really fast, and they love the whole like, oh, I could have swore you had a five, or I thought you had the princess, or whatever. That one was really easy to teach. Um, Controls, another one, it's mostly, uh, it's by Keymaster Games, it's a um, time travel, you're stuck outside of time trying to recharge your, your time machine, and it's really fast and quick, and it's just cards, and you just get points per round, and it's like each round is five to ten minutes. Some of those can be great because you just teach one thing. Hey, it's your turn. You can either draw a card, play a card, you know, or it's your turn. You draw a card and play a card. Which card do you want? Those are really simple. 
Um, great party games for like if you want to try to get a whole big group together might be Dixit or Insider. Um, code names and the Great Dal Moody are great party games that kind of everybody's just kind of having a good time while they play. Bananagrams for those people who love words. You know, it's just a hey, let's make Scrabble as fast as possible. Ultimately, this is only the first step in getting a set of playtesters, right? Because ultimately, these people that you're kind of hopefully converting to games just become hopefully consistent gamers. And maybe they're, you know, just getting comfortable with gaming. As you do that, though, I want to tell you the next step of this. So not only how to meet people and begin introducing them to games, but then how to get game players to become playtesters. And this was big for me when I became a designer. Um, as their experiences with games grow, and you are a part of that by helping them find games that they really enjoy, and taking their feedback seriously when they're like, you know, that Great Dal Moody game just was too simple for me, or that control game, I didn't understand all the math and the numbers, or something like that. You're a part of that. You're a part of their journey in what games they like, and so they begin to kind of trust you with that part of their um, of their journey and what games they play. Now, granted, many of them may start to research their their own their selves, and that's always kind of best case scenario. Maybe they love games enough, and the games that you're showing them help them dive into the hobby, you know, in a sense, head first. But I think as you as their experiences with games grow, you really help them find games they really enjoy. Then. At that point, once you've been able to be a part of that, you can ask them if they'd be willing to play a game you've designed. Um, and I think the key is to make sure you've playtested your game to a particular playable state with decent graphic design. These are not game designers that are going to play your game. Game designers are like, here's some index cards and some random bits of paper with some Sharpie and a few cubes that I grabbed out of another game. That That's something that game designers can do. If you're a designer and want some playtesters and you're in a small town like I am, those um, player testers are used to a fully published game, which means it's very clear, it's very pretty, it's very all these things. And I'm not saying you have to buy art, and I'm not saying you have to um, produce some sort of incredible you know, product out of you know, Adobe Illustrator or something, but I do think that you gotta do some pretty good work on decent graphic design. And so if I were you, look at games that are being playtested blindly and see kind of what level of iconography they have. What kind of icons are they using? Um, what, what What's, a, what's a, a clear way of conveying everything and not making it either too pretty to where it's kind of lost in the mix or too plain and they're thinking that they're playing something you made when you were in eighth grade, even though it probably in its first prototype form did look like that. So make sure that it's playtested to a certain state where it actually is a game and it's actually kind of somewhat start to finish or can get at least halfway through. And then ask them if, you, if they would play for 15 to 30 minutes. So hopefully what this is doing is setting an expectation for them that you are not asking for hours of their time. Um, they probably remember back in the day, somebody in their you know gaming experience probably had asked them, hey, you want to play this game? It takes like an hour, and then five hours later, right? And I think all of us have had that experience. So be really clear. I Even if we don't finish the game, I promise that can you just play for 15 minutes, and then we'll call it if you want to keep going, then we'll keep going. That means that their expectation is, oh, do I have 15 minutes for this guy or girl that has been a part of my gaming journey? Probably, probably they have 15 minutes for you, um, especially if they've, you know, could play 15 minutes of Love Letter, which is really fun, but you've been the one that introduced that to them. 
So ask and give expectation in that way. Um, and then after after you get them kind of more and more interested and they've play tested that game or you know some of your games for about 15 to 30 minutes, then you can really ask them if they would be willing to go longer and longer. And, and this is the thing. If your game is a huge flop, they play for 15 minutes and it breaks in a lot of ways and maybe they don't have the most fun, I would end with acknowledging that and just being really humble as a designer. And I would say that that was a huge thing for me. I would play test um, my first game and it was really long and I actually didn't ask them this expectation on the front end, which was a real miss. But then at the end, I just wouldn't, I would be saying like, well, I think this is wrong, I think this is wrong. But I did ask for good feedback and I think... That's what I would say is to get them to come back again and again and playtest a game again and again and maybe even spend longer than 30 minutes of their time playtesting your designs, you want to make sure that they are heard. And they're heard in like I could they they want to know that I could change this game kind of heard, not oh, I'm just a cog or I'm just a piece of data. And so I would really encourage you to take really good feedback. Ask them, if you designed that, what would you design? Or if you could experience this game in the way that you would like, what would it be like? Ask them really open questions like that. Um, Because remember, they're very new to gaming and you're not. And they expect you to be kind of this super gamer because you're a designer. And what is really great is you can be like, wow, that's a really good idea. That's one of my favorite moments is when a playtester says something that I've never thought of or, or have thought of before, but it's still just kind of a... Um, a big thought for them, I can acknowledge that. I can say, wow, that's a huge thought. I have, that is a really good idea and I wonder if it would work. So just really um, praise them for their feedback because it's going to help you. And it actually, you should be listening to it anyway, even if it's something you've thought of before. It's confirming some of your thoughts. So really praise them and thank them, you know, significantly for every playtest they do for you. But the biggest thing about longevity of having a playtesting community and potentially in a small town where you're the only designer is between playtests, be that sharing the love of board games. Don't just always ask them to playtest your game or your next uh, prototype every time you see them. Hey, I've got a new game. I wanna, you want to playtest it? Hey, you got a new game. You want to playtest it? I got. I fixed that last one. You want to playtest it? That just gets really tiring. And the hard thing about playtesting is everybody's mode in that is to get things done and to they know that it's a working progress how nice is it to sit down with a board game and just enjoy it and that's what you need to do in between um, those times where you're playtesting because what you really want to be about is the people and continue to help them find the next game that they would love um, that's a real fun way to help them continue to feel like they get to enjoy board gaming with you and the last thing is obviously the normal things of incentivizing playtesters. Buy them coffee, um, buy them lunch or dinner, uh, give them copies of games that you get from conventions or you get because you know people know that you love games so they buy you a game and you don't like it that much but you know they would. Um, and then the big one I did was just host game nights or gaming events. I uh, hosted a Gen Cant um, this last this year, 2018, when they did the 18-card uh, contest. And I had done an 18-card contest entry, but I went and I printed out quite a few of the other 18-card entries and gave them away as prizes. Now, granted, they're in prototype mode. They're on card stock, and some of them were in sleeves. And I gave away my game and things like that. But ultimately, people were getting raffles for a game the entire time they were there and then at the end I raffled away a party game that I had won at a proto ATL and so I gave that away um, to the last you know raffle I just wanted to pour back into the community that has been 
basically um, helping me produce most of my games. And so I hope that that's helpful. Think about the fact that you can begin to meet people and introduce them to games by learning a lot about them, their history, their personality, their interests, their uh, preferences. Start them off with a simple or a co-op game, a game that's fun but really simple when it comes to the rules and what they do on their turn. And then to get them from there to playtesting, ask them about their experiences with games and eventually just ask them to playtest one of your games that is in a good state for 15 minutes. And over time, you'll build a playtesting community that will probably really love you, not just your games or not just gaming or not just playtesting. And then they will really want to playtest the things that you create. And that's just so fun to get to share your creation with other people that love playing games with you. And so I hope that this is a helpful con- um, contribution to the board game workshop. I've really enjoyed being a judge on the workshop, uh, the board game workshop design contest. And um, I really just thought about the fact that I have been in a place where I'm consistently um, not surrounded by many gamers, but yet have been able to find lots of play testers that give really great feedback. And a lot of them were people that I had to just invest in when it came to board games and loving them. And so I hope that this is possible uh, ways you can see some avenues to begin um, pouring into those around you, seeing where they where they like games and how they like games, helping them find the games they love, and then maybe getting the, your design to the table and seeing if they can uh, be great feedback for you on the designs you have. Thank you so much. This is Jonathan Weaver again with Game Weaver Games. If you want to check me out, I am J underscore Weaves, W-E-A-V-E-S on Twitter. Um, or you can go on Facebook and you can look up in the search bar Game Weaver, G-A-M-E-W-E-A-V-E-R, and you'll probably find my Facebook group. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you later. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our inventor-level supporters, Brad Batchelor, Chris Turner, and Alan D. Eckert. That's all for this episode. You can get the show notes for all episodes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. Join the show's Facebook group to discuss the episodes and support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.